official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss here on Sportsnet 650. Canadian radio stations all across the country are coming together today to create space and elevate the voices of Indigenous peoples in Canada. Today on Sportsnet 650, it's a day to listen. Today is a day to listen. Radio stations all across Canada are elevating the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. Like Tabitha Bull, the President and CEO of the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business, Tabitha explains how Indigenous people were systematically excluded from Canada's economy and how we can all support Indigenous businesses today. Oni, Tabitha Bull, Indigenous Cast, Nipissing, Indigenous Bob, Midgesito Dem. Hello, I'm Tabitha Bull, President and CEO of Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business, a proud member of Nipissing First Nation. Indigenous people have been systemically and purposely uh, kept out of the economy of Canada through the Indian Act. Uh, many people don't know that from 1881 until 2014, the Indian Act actually contained a permit system to control First Nations' ability to sell products off of reserves. And also, um, Indigenous people, First Nation people, uh, were not considered Indians under the Indian Act if they obtained a secondary school degree until 1951. If you were a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor, that meant you were no longer considered an Indian under the Indian Act. And, and that's where we lost a lot of mentors and youth being able to look up to Indigenous people that had those degrees and were in those professions. I think it speaks so much to the loss of intergenerational wealth when we look at Indigenous people today and we look at Indigenous business owners. We've lost that intergenerational wealth of like you didn't have a home to pass on but you also didn't if you didn't have a business we see now young indigenous people that are starting businesses and some of them are saying it it wasn't if it wasn't for their father or their mother that was able to start a business they probably wouldn't have finished high school they wouldn't have definitely have started a business themselves so we have a lot of years to catch up on and i think all of canada needs to support indigenous economy to ensure that we can close those gaps Despite that we were effectively excluded from the economy, Indigenous people have persisted. There are close to 60,000 Indigenous businesses across Canada in every sector, in every size, every province and territory. We see Indigenous businesses also within their business plan, at the root of their business plan, ensuring that there's an opportunity for them to give back to their community or to support Indigenous youth, to support Indigenous women and girls and education. The other uh, you know, thing I think that we're seeing that is such an important area of growth is that Indigenous people have always been sustainable, have always looked at the environment and protecting the environment. And most businesses in the Indigenous community include that at the root of their business plan. So now when consumers are looking at wanting to buy products that are environmentally safe and that are sustainable, and now that everybody's looking at ESG, Indigenous businesses have been doing that since they started. And I think now the consumer is catching up to the importance of that work. We talk often about reconciliation and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. TRC number 92 specifically speaks to Corporate Canada and how Corporate Canada can support Indigenous people through reconciliation. And at CCAB, that's really the root of the work that we do. It's about 
bringing together Indigenous and non-Indigenous businesses in ways that they can become equitable partners in looking how Indigenous businesses can get into the supply chain of corporate Canada. And we truly believe that procurement strategies to ensure that you're mandated and committing to buying from Indigenous business is one of the key areas of growth that's going to ensure that we can continue to grow the Indigenous economy. There's so much that anybody could do as a consumer. So as an individual, look at where you're spending your money and support Indigenous business, but also as an investor, look at the companies that you're investing in and pressure them to ensure that they have Indigenous inclusion strategies, that they're working well with Indigenous people and Indigenous business. And the last thing I would say is within your organization, ask your organization what they're doing. What are they doing to support Indigenous business and Indigenous people? And request that of them, whether you're an Indigenous employee or not. There's so much that corporate Canada can do to move the needle. And it's not about spending more money. It's not about more tax dollars. It's just about looking at where you're spending your money and directing that in ways that are going to support the economy. Today is a day to listen. To learn more about how you can do something, visit downywenjack.ca. We will continue to share a variety of important voices all throughout the day here on Sportsnet 650 as we honour National Indigenous History Month with a day to listen. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair, filling in for Craig McEwen on Bick and the Boss. Connected now with Dixon Ward, a longtime NHLer in Vancouver Canuck. Uh, features regularly here on Sportsnet 650. Dixon, thanks a lot for joining us. It's uh, game two tonight of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, tough sledding for Montreal in game one. Uh, you know, when you lose that opening game of a series... What's the mindset that you want to come back in? Is it uh, start from scratch or is it just stick to who you are? Yeah, it, it certainly isn't start from scratch at this point of the, at this point of the playoffs for sure. It's, it's really just put it behind you say, Hey, we came into Tampa Bay to get the split and, and uh, we have it sitting right in front of us and they just got to focus on that. They'll learn a few things from game one. They'll go obviously watch, watch video and see what areas they need to clean up and what areas they need to improve upon. So uh, I would expect a different, uh, a different Montreal team, regardless if they win or lose tonight, it's going to be, uh, there'll be, a, it'll be a different game, I believe. And uh, you know, it's uh, you're playing against ta- the defending champions in Tampa Bay. So you're up against it anyway. So uh, it's a big game for Montreal tonight. And I expect Carey Price and the boys to come out and uh, put up a hell of a fight. Uh, when you see a team like Tampa with the depth they have, uh, their their ability on on offense to you know really make something out of nothing, and uh, the, the game can snowball. What what would you be looking at as as a player in in terms of not letting them gain that momentum like we saw late in the game in in game one? Well, I think obviously, and uh, I didn't. Uh... I didn't invent this philosophy, but they got to stay out of the penalty box for one. Um, Tampa Bay is absolutely lethal on the power play, and that's where they gain a lot of their momentum. So I would say real discipline and real patient. I mean, Montreal's got to go in looking. We got to win two to one. Uh, that's the way they got to think about it. Uh, they they can't afford to open it up. They can't go toe to toe offensively with Tampa Bay, but they've proven through the first three rounds that they can lock it down and they can defend and they can be patient and they can chip away and they can be opportunistic and they have Kerry Price. Um, and so he's going to have to be at his best and 
Montreal's got to be real patient and, and wait for their opportunities and not give Tampa Bay anything for free. And that's, and that's the one thing they're talking about is the turnovers at the blue lines and the, and the quick transition that you can't allow that to happen because uh, Tampa Bay is just too good at making you pay for those mistakes. So you just got to be real patient and, and uh, try to grind it out. Especially when they're the underdog. And I'm just trying to think back to 99 when you were with the Sabres, you guys were making that run. You guys would have been underdogs in a lot of those series, you know, considered underdogs in a lot of those series, no? And and how do you approach that mentality heading into what not only are you the underdog, the Montreal heading into the series, you're also facing the Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, I mean, it's it's similar. We went through that. We went through that uh, and, and, you know, in the locker room, you don't feel like you're an underdog, obviously, but uh, perceptually in the public, it, it's anytime you're playing the, the defending champions and one of the top teams in the league throughout the last few years, uh, you have to be considered the underdog. It doesn't really matter what anybody says. That's just fact. But in that locker room, Montreal's got a lot of confidence in themselves. So they also have the ability to say, listen, we don't have anything to lose here. Um, no, nobody's expecting us to to, uh, to beat Tampa Bay, at least in the media and in the fan base. Um, but in their minds, they think they have a real good legitimate shot as long as they play their game. So the pressure is not solely on Montreal right now. Tampa Bay is, you know, they're the defending champs. They got a lot of pressure on them to, to repeat. And, and uh, Montreal just got to relax and play their game. And I think you'll see that. Uh, not going to crown the Lightning just yet, but they're back in the final. Uh, they, they went on an impressive run through the bubble last year, but obviously these last two NHL seasons have been uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. If they're in a position to pull this off and the, they win back-to-back cups uh, in, in with two years that, that nobody could have ever predicted, uh, how would you view their legacy? How would you remember this, this team and this group if they're able to do it? Well, I, I mean... You're absolutely right. It's a really a unique situation, and uh, I'm on the I'm I'm on I'm, I'm on the team that that uh, believes that this is a this is a very difficult time to do what they're doing, and they deserve a tremendous amount of credit and respect for what they've able to accomplish, even up to this point, whether they win or lose. I mean, uh, last year in that bubble was a grind and mental uh, as well as physical and. Uh, harder than any normal year would be in my opinion. So having to go through it again and, and deal with what they've as individual players have had to deal with throughout the course of this season and to, and to continue to perform at the level they performed at and they get back here is, is a real testament to their mental strength, their preparation, and their leadership. And, and so uh, they pull this off. In my opinion, they should be viewed as uh, one of the best teams put together in the last 25 years. No question about it. Dixon War joining us, longtime NHLer here on Bick and the Boss, Bick Nazar and Israel Fair. Uh, the first hour in Canuck Central, we were talking about Canucks offseason plans and how to approach free agency. I, I kind of want to go back to your free agent process uh, when you signed with Buffalo. What was that whole experience like, and what led you to making your decision? Well, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit different back then, but, you know, that. Um, a lot of us back then were free agents a lot because it, we weren't signing an eight year deal. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's always a little stressful for a player for sure. Uh, just not knowing how it's going to work out and how it's going to turn out and whether it's going to be 
July 1st or whether it's going to be August 15th when something actually comes down the pike. So, you know, obviously the top, the top players on the list, they'll get done early and they don't have much to worry about, but there is unfortunately going to be a lot of players uh, that are going to be left out in the cold this year, be- simply because of the flat cap, uh, the lack of money and revenue that the NHL is, uh, has not generated in the last couple of seasons. So I would, I would uh, not want to be a free agent in, in today's market if I wasn't, you know, one of the top 10% guys, because it's going to be a battle uh, trying to get a deal done anywhere and try to find a roster spot. So that's going to be, it's going to be really interesting and, and stressful for a lot of guys. No question about it. For the players in those spots, uh, if there's not a ton of dollars to go around and the teams are so tight to the cap, what would you want to hear from a, a team that would be looking to bring you in and understanding that maybe it's not the money that you thought you were going to make a couple of years ago, uh, but they can provide certain opportunities, whether it's on the ice, off the ice, what would you be uh, looking to hear from, from an organization? Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a, that's a great question um, because they're, they're, you know, players and their advisors and agents got to really think about how, how, uh, how the negotiating tactics are going to be, but right. If it was me, I'd be thinking, I just want to, I just want to be on a roster that, that I have a legitimate opportunity to contribute. Um, and I have to know that I'm going to have to be patient through these times. Uh, and the best way, uh, to prolong your career is to be in a situation where you're going to have a chance to contribute. And regardless of what the money is, uh, that's a secondary factor. Uh, you want to play, you want to play in the national hockey league, uh, you don't want to have to be forced to look over in Europe or the KHL or in the American Hockey League if you don't have to. Uh, so I would uh, I wouldn't be uh, turning too many teams down if they came knocking in July and said, you know, we got a spot for you and and this is where we think you fit. And uh, I would be jumping all over it if I was a lot of these guys, no question. What is the sell job from teams to to attract you to to sign for them? Is it? Based on opportunity, is it based on city? Is it based on you know championship aspirations? Well, it's a combination the, uh, of everything, and it, yeah. again, it all depends on who you are. Um, if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to choose what city you want to go to and where you, what community you want to live in, um, and what team you want to play for, if you got ten of them out there, then that's a pretty powerful position. Uh, but if you're a guy just looking to maintain a, a roster spot in the league. You know, and you have a couple teams that are sniffing around. You you want to really just don't care where it is. At the end of the day, you want to play in the National Hockey League. It doesn't matter what city it is. You want opportunity. You want the ability to play um, on a regular basis. And so that's what you'd be listening for from any team is like, yeah, we really like you. We don't have a bunch of money for you at this time, but we want to play in. We want to keep you here in overtime. We can uh, work on the future, but uh, you want somebody that wants to give you that opportunity, and that's all players want to hear. Looking back at, at the playoffs, is there anything that stood out to you as, as now we're, we're in the cup final or down to two teams about uh, the, the way that, that any team, certain teams played, uh, the way that the game's been officiated? Like, how will you remember uh, these playoffs in general? Well, I, I, I always look at every playoff run with the expectations at the start of the playoffs and, and, and predictions at the start and how that everything shakes out. And I think this, the story of this year's playoff is obviously the Montreal Canadians and, 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 and how the, you know, the, the divisional setups were, 
were uh, accomplished and and how they came out through the north uh, facing facing some real tough teams and weren't predicted to get through the first round, let alone get to the Stanley Cup. So I think this this playoff series will be the story of the Montreal Canadiens. Whether they win or lose, they'll be the story uh, for a while. Obviously, Tampa goes back-to-back. That'll be a headline. But I think, uh, you know, the officiating comes and goes every year. You're going to hear this stuff. And it it really isn't important. It is what it is. And, and uh and uh, people have different opinions about it. But I, I just think the, the tenacity and the team play and the grit that Montreal has shown um, has, is going to be the story. Dixon Orr joining us uh, really quickly. Uh, you know, we're waiting for this rivalry between Vancouver and Seattle to start up next season. Uh, the Kraken finally announced their head coach. It's Dave Hackstall. Uh You got a bit of history with Dave. Uh, what can Canucks fans get prepared for uh, against the opposing coach? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I've known Dave since we were 15 years old. We played midget hockey together, junior hockey together, college hockey together. We've been uh, close friends uh, for many, many years, and I have nothing but a tremendous amount of respect for Dave and and his knowledge. A lot of people out West won't know a a bunch about Dave. Um, The people in Philadelphia had their love and hate affair with him when he was a Flyers coach, and they seemed to forget that he was a Jack Adams nominee in his second year in Philadelphia, so... He's a very smart guy. He's a very prepared guy. He's a very level, emotionally sound uh, coach. Um, he forms great relationships with his players. Some of the greatest players uh, that came through North Dakota that he coached, Jonathan Taves and T.J. Oshie and Zach Parise and guys of this ilk, uh, look to him as uh, as one of the big reasons of their success because of uh, how he helped develop them. So. I would, uh, you know, you would expect a, a team that's going to work hard, be very, be, be very disciplined, uh, and a team that's going to improve. Uh, they will improve start to finish, unquestionably, because he's uh, he's that good of a development coach. Uh, it's Dixon Ward here on Bick and the Boss, and uh, Dixon will appreciate the time. We'll connect with you next week, and maybe we have a Cup champion by that stage. <laughs> well, you never know. Great to talk to you guys. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks, it's Dixon Ward uh, here on Bick and the Boss. Israel Fair filling in for the Boss today. And uh, while we were talking to Dixon, Elliot Friedman decided to uh, light NHL Twitter on fire and uh, the NHL world uh, with a, a report here. Uh, this is Elliot's tweet. There are rumblings Chicago is working on a potential Duncan-Keith trade to either the Pacific Northwest or Western Canada. Word is Keith and the team are working together to get him to a place he wants to go. We will see where this goes. So Pacific Northwest screams Seattle and Western Canada says four cities. Maybe you want to include Winnipeg in that, uh, but it's a five-team Radius we're working with uh, here, Izzy. And boy, oh boy, can you even imagine (laughs) if Vancouver was one of those destinations. Now, look, I can't imagine, but like we've had the conversation of, you know, most hated NHL players in Canucks history. Duncan Keith is on that podium. He certainly is in Vancouver. 
um, and that's that's saying a lot uh, for a guy that uh, starred for for Team Canada at a couple of tournaments. Uh, but uh, the Daniel Sedin hit comes to mind, and the, the probably being the villain, if not uh, sharing that podium with with Patrick Kane and the, uh, the and of course Dustin Bufflin uh, from the early days of the Canucks Chicago rivalry. Uh, this is a guy that uh, is towards the end of his career. He's still he's 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 certainly not the player that he was ten years ago, even five years ago. But he still brings a little bit to the table. It's just that the Blackhawks have a bunch of young defensemen that they are that they are trying to find spots for on that roster. And uh, Duncan Keith, I think, would probably intrigue a management team in Vancouver. Maybe not the fan base, uh, but they are looking for for veteran defensemen. He's a guy that. Uh, Spends a lot of time in BC in, in the off season. I actually spoke to him a couple of years ago for uh, an interview about the BCHL where he played uh, Junior A before uh, moving on to the WHL and just uh, the roots that he has in BC. Uh, could could Seattle be an option there as they try to build out uh, a team and, and, and have some veteran players available to them? Possibly. Um, and I think either Alberta team would be would be in the mix when it comes to, to adding defensemen. I guess it would be interesting to see how the how the money plays out. So the, the motivations here are obvious uh, for from Duncan Keith's point of view. It's, you know, getting closer to the Okanagan region. He's got some family there, his son's there. So that's kind of the the root of all this of, hey, can we work something out with Chicago? to end up in an area where that's what's best for me personally. Now he's got two years left on his deal on a 5.538462, if you want to be real specific, uh, what his contract is, what his cap hit is. The actual money, though, that's going to get paid out over the next two years is significantly less. It's $3.6 million over the course of the, these two years. This is one of those old-school back-diving contracts. He signed a 13-year deal back in 2009. So the actual cash you're giving out, not so much. But with the cap kit that high, you know, you really have to be incentivized to take on that kind of contract. And we start to parse through it. Seattle, look, they could be an interesting destination for that of, hey, we're willing to take on a contract for futures and something that we can help replenish our future and, and start building up some assets. But at the same time, seems like a weird spot because he's not exactly uh, – and, and look, this is – the way we, we perceive Seattle right now is very analytically motivated. Duncan Keith is not in a stage where contractually there's a lot of value in that, and the on-ice production hasn't exactly lived up to a certain standard over the past couple of seasons as well. No, though, in, in limited spots, I think he's had some moments where he's shown – Maybe similarly to Alex Edler, when the when the, the minutes are down, when he's still able to play in a, a more limited role, uh, he can still be an effective player. But he's he's definitely not the guy that you could just roll out there for 25, 30 minutes a game, power play, penalty kill, make make a huge impact. I mean, uh, as as <laughs> as we started this conversation, he's certainly not one of the more well liked players, uh, especially teams that were rivals against Chicago, especially here in Vancouver. Uh, but he is he is among the most impactful defensemen of uh, certainly the post-lockout era, and there's an argument to be made that it, it goes beyond that. So uh, I can see some teams, especially the teams in Western Canada that are, are looking to break through or 
looking to to add something to their mix so that they can go on a bit of a playoff run that they they would talk themselves into Duncan Keith, especially if there's some some financial benefit to doing so. For instance, like would you give up Louis Erickson for Duncan Keith? See, that's that's the perfect hypothetical for Canucks fans. <laughs> right? Like like man, how how much like emotional twisting and turning could you put Canucks fans in and be like, well, you get rid of get rid of off of that and although in theory that would cost uh, Chicago more because there's three million dollars left on uh, Louis Erickson's contract. Or, sorry, uh, it would save them six hundred k. Is is that enough of incentive to, to get out of a contract? Because we, we we've discussed this idea of selling expirings to take on longer term contracts for a functional player. I, I'm not sure if six hundred k is 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 enough savings in that scenario. No, I don't think so. I mean, if a team is looking to do that, they're probably. They're probably looking for enough slot to to get one of the, the the types of players that we were talking about earlier in the show. Some of these guys that uh, might be coming in, you know, one mil, one and a half, maybe two million uh, to to make an impact to play in a top nine role to to have a, a role uh, on on defense. Not sure exactly what Chicago might be looking for, but uh, as I, as I mentioned, they've got a ton of young defensemen. Um, some more pedigreed than others, but they, they don't have enough minutes to go around. And uh, they're, they're very much in, in this weird rebuild. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Taves uh, comes back today to, mm-hmm. to announce that uh, he, he still plans to play and uh, was, was going through some, some health problems. But they, they're not, uh, at, at least when it comes to on the ice, they're, they're in a bit of a precarious spot, uh, uh, even more so than whatever we're talking about with the Canucks. Brian and Poco says, get over it. Duncan Keith would be great with young D-men. We'll continue to get your reaction. We'll run it by uh, Ken Priestley as well. Uh, and Hey, would you accept Duncan Keith? We'll pose it to you, 650-650. Get your reaction in. Pick Nazar, Israel Fair here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss here on Sportsnet 650. In honor of National Indigenous History Month, we are uniting with radio stations across Canada and the Gord Downey and Chani Wenjek Fund to elevate the voices of Indigenous people. Today on Sportsnet 650 is a day to listen. Today is a day to listen. Radio stations all across Canada are elevating the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. Like Dr. Alika Lafontaine, president-elect of the Canadian Medical Association. Dr. Alika shares the importance of reclaiming a cycle of truth to understand history and our own experience as Canadians. My name is Alika Lafontaine. My ancestry is Métis, Cree, Anishinaabe, and Pacific Islander. I'm the great-grandchild of two residential school survivors. So I look at the impacts of the residential school system, both personally through my own family, but also as a professional, as someone who works as a physician within the medical system. You know, we all live in the context of our experiences. Having had family that have gone through residential schools, I I can see the impacts that it's had on my grandparents and my father and, you know, other relatives and how that's changed the way that they interact with me, but also in the greater context of what it means to be Canadian. One of the things I've realized in going through this new cycle of truth is that Indigenous communities never forgot these children, but Canada forgot about them. Even though the 2015 TRC, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, final report talked about these lost children, 
uh, I don't think we were ready as a country to actually have this discussion. And so unlike the last cycle of truth, where we were fighting to have the acknowledgement of residential schools taken as truth, I think we've definitely moved forward with this new cycle where we've now come back to talking about these lost children, these unmarked graves. And it shows that Canada is really moving forward in its discussion. We, we have a long way to go before we reach reconciliation, but we are becoming closer and closer to accepting the truth of what's happened historically. The 215 pledge is really a way for non-Indigenous Canadians to know how to enter into that relationship with Indigenous communities and Indigenous peoples that live in the same places that they do. That way they're ready to hear our stories. They're ready to understand what they can do in order to help and support us. The 215 pledge focused around the five stages of grief. It asks five commitments from them. It asks them to deny the narrative that suggests that this was an isolated event, that these unmarked graves are one-off situations, but part of a broader story across Canada. It asks them to embrace those feelings of being upset and angry at a system that would allow this to happen, to build momentum towards the justice that these children deserve. It asks them to support the search for undocumented grave sites across Canada. It asks them to help to reunite families with the remains of loved ones that are uncovered in this search. And then the fifth and final thing that we ask non-Indigenous Canadians is to accept the experiences of all those who've been affected by residential schools. To learn about the 215 Pledge, visit 215pledge.ca. You'll have information about the pledge, as well as resources on how to be supported through this process if you're going through grief yourself. And there'll be some suggestions about what you can do right now in order to move things forward in this discussion. Today is a day to listen. To learn more about how you can do something, visit downywenjack.ca. We will continue to hear more Indigenous voices throughout the day here on Sportsnet 650 as we honour National Indigenous History Month with a day to listen. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair here on Bick and the Boss. Izzy filling in for C-Mac, who is uh, on the golf course today, uh, chilling out. Hey, man, he needs time off, too. We get it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk now, as we do every week, with Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber. It's time for Mr. Fix-It, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now, here's Ken Priestley. Our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber. Ken, uh, before we went to break, we uh, kind of let everyone know about the, the latest on uh, what Elliot Friedman uh, reporting, that uh, potentially... The Chicago Blackhawks are working on a trade uh, to send Duncan Keith to the Pacific Northwest or Western Canada. Uh, now, obviously, here in Vancouver, Duncan Keith is a is a, a bit of a hot topic, uh, given his history with the Vancouver. I, I'm just curious, you know, it, it, you played in the NHL a long time, a professional hockey player. When you get a player that's got a history with your organization and you acquire him what's that mood like in the room uh, you know what i think is i think once you're on the same team um it, it all becomes 
passed, right? It, it's just that he played for the Chicago Blackhawks. He played against the Vancouver Canucks and, and he played hard. The Canucks played hard. And I mean, it's, it's just competition. And uh, yes, there was some stuff in there that may not have uh, made it got under the skin of Vancouver Canuck fans, but uh, you know, anytime you get a chance to bring a, a player like Duncan Keith into an organization, I think uh, you'd warm up pretty quick. Do you have any anecdotes that come to mind or, or just stories about uh, instances where, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, over the course of the Keith and the Canucks, that's, you know, a number of years, uh, but where maybe you or a teammate uh, got into it with, with an opponent and, and shortly thereafter uh, that, that player gets brought to your team and, and any of the things that, uh, that helps that thawing out process or is it just as simple as uh, this guy's putting on the same uniform as I am and, and we both want the same thing, we want to win a hockey game? Yeah, no, you know what? Personally, I, I never had that uh, that circumstance at all. But, uh, you know, playing in Pittsburgh and, and, and then making trades at deadlines and, and bringing bringing in a player like Rick Tockett, who you know, obviously you know the the, uh, the rivalry the Penguins and the Flyers have. I mean, those were some pretty heated uh, heated moments and and heated games, and and I'm sure there were situations there that uh, you know uh, other players that may have you know been rubbed the wrong way. But uh, I, I really do think that if you're bringing up if you're making a trade and it's and it's all for the better of your team. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, maybe some, maybe you don't say hi to him right away, but, uh, you know, you get an assist on his goal. He gets an assist on your goal. It's all over. You know, that's all it is. It's, it's just sport. And, uh, at the heat of the moment, uh, stuff happens, but, uh, when you become teammates, uh, you're only in there for one thing and that's to win hockey games and hopefully get a Stanley cup. It all exists in the ecosystem of professional sports. So, yeah, players and teammates get along. That's great. We've talked about managers and how they relate players. But the, the reason I fear a move like this is the relationship between the fans and the players. And would Duncan Keith get accepted as a Vancouver Canucks? Should anything come to fruition? I'm not even reporting that they're even having a conversation. It's just one of the destinations that, that matches the region. But you know, were you cognizant of being accepted by the fans? Or was it just about put my head down and play and that will take care of itself? I, I think it takes care of itself. I mean, the, the fans are the fans. They, they they can they can do whatever they need to do to feel uh, important, feel like they're a fan, feel like they're contributing. Whatever they do, um, they have every right. They're paying ticket prices. They're they're you know they're hard earned money going to to watch a team. And uh, I mean, obviously, if you don't perform, um, it's a little bit different than coming to work at Dunbar Lumber, right? You're you're on the spotlight, and and uh, and and people can say whatever they want to say to you, and and um, that's just what happens. And and to be a pro athlete, um, or you know, an entertainer, or anything in, in music or something like that, if for some reason people don't like what you do, um, they'll let you know. And uh, it is it is a lot easier to read the papers when uh, when things are going well, and it's a lot tougher to read the papers when things are going wrong. But um, that's just the life, the day in the life of a, of a professional athlete. 
Speaking of fans, uh, here we are in the cup final and uh, pretty pretty close to a full house down in Tampa. We had some big crowds in Vegas, fingers crossed. We're getting closer to having people be able to go to sporting events here in Vancouver. But watching these games on TV, uh, how much is, is that crowd standing out to you after uh, the bubble experience that we had last summer where uh, these high intensity games, the biggest games of the year are being played in front of nobody? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's amazing that it's back. It's uh, it's amazing that it happened so quickly. It was almost just like we, you know, you just decided that this is how it's going to be in in some of those towns in uh, in the states. And and once they got the feel of five thousand, ten thousand, obviously it was just the floodgates opened, and and here we go. Because uh, you know, when you watch Carolina, their fans were incredible. Vegas was incredible. Tampa's you know, uh, off the charts too. And, and look at the Island. I mean, there, there are some pretty amazing atmospheres that uh, I'm sure um, if, if Canada opened up, you know, obviously Montreal would sell out in an instant and, and it would be great, but um, it was the Stanley cup last year was great hockey. And I thought that the, the, the way that the players played under the circumstances that they were in, um, was amazing. I thought the game was was physical. I thought the game was super intense, and 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 at the outcome when Tampa winning it, they deserved every bit of it, right? And and this year it's the same sort of thing. But now there's fans, and the players get to enjoy it a little bit. It's a lot more fun to play in front of fans for sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, the early start of the series after Game One with Montreal and Tampa Bay? You know what? I I still think Montreal's there. I mean, I I. They're they're a team that that knows their identity for sure, and um, I, I I didn't get to catch the whole game. I caught the first sort of three quarters of it and missed the end. But um, they're you know the game was anybody's game for the longest time, and uh, there was a couple of lucky breaks that uh, that Tampa got to get uh, up in the game and 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 obviously get a comfortable lead. And I think the one thing about Tampa is they've learned and they've, they, they know how to play one, nothing. And then their superstars and, and, uh, and, and their team have embraced this, uh, the style of play um, that their coaching staff has put out there and, and basically said, this is where, how we're going to do it. We can play any game we want and uh, we can win one, nothing and we can win eight, nothing. And um, you know, with a couple of breaks uh, you know, the game might've turned a different way, but it just shows you that if you make one simple little mistake of not getting it out or not getting the puck in against a team like Tampa Bay, they'll make you pay. I mean, they've got that depth. They're relentless. Uh, and Montreal's made it here playing, you know, a pretty consistent style. Is there is there any adjustment that they that they should be making heading into game two uh, so that they can get a split and, and head back home 1-1? You know, at playing at this, you're not being taught anything at this level uh, now. At this stage of the of, of the season, um, it's it's you know everything, and and there's a couple of little tweaks here you can do um, between periods or between games and 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 all that kind of stuff. But you're not drastically changing your game plan. Um, Montreal knows how they play. They know how they play well. They just got to limit the mistakes. And um, if they uh, if if they play that way and and um, and and get one out of the out of uh, out of Tampa, they're back in this series going you know one one back home to Montreal, and we all know how they play at home. So I don't think we count uh, Montreal out at all. I think Tampa's a very very good team, but I think Montreal's still there with a, with a chance. And uh, anytime you have a Carey Price or a Shea Weber or you know even like Corey Perry, those guys those glue guys. 
they uh, they can make this team believe in things that uh, maybe they don't believe in uh, on a regular basis. He's Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It, joins us weekly here on Sportsnet 650 on Vic and the Boss. Ken, uh, appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Happy Happy Canada Day as well. Yes, you too, guys. Take care. Stay cool. It's uh, Bic Nazar, Israel Fair Thanks, here on Sportsnet 650, Bic and the Boss. Uh, let's get to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox because it is – It's popping, uh, buddy. It's it popping off. It is popping. Again, so here's the report from Elliot Friedman earlier today. Just dropped it about uh, – uh, 40 minutes ago, he tweeted out, There are rumblings Chicago is working on a potential Duncan Keith trade to either the Pacific Northwest or Western Canada. Word is Keith is word is Keith and team are working together to get him in a place he wants to go. We will see where this goes. Now, he's got ties to the Okanagan, Penticton. Uh, that's where his son is. And understandably, hey, you want to be close to your family. Makes all the sense in the world from Duncan Keith's point of view. Chicago can understand the motivations from getting off of a contract. That's fairly onerous, especially for a player that's going to be turning 38 years old. Again, it is uh, he's got two years left on it at 5.538, and the real money is 3.6 million. So those are the kind of details. Now, Western Canada, Pacific Northwest, to me, I look at that, and that narrows it down to four to five teams if you want to consider Winnipeg, Western Canada. That's kind of the scope of what we're talking about. Uh, now, we know the history. We know the Sedins are now involved with the organization. Would they stamp their foot on the idea? Remains to be seen. But also, it just, hey, these are the parameters of, of what we're operating with. And I posed it to the, the listeners, 650-650. Would you accept Duncan Keith as a Vancouver Canuck? Not that we think he's going to end up here or anything like that. Just would you accept? And it's uh, fairly split, Is he in the inbox. There's, yeah, a lot of comments coming in on, on both sides. And uh, it's funny, right? Because this is we're talking about a much lesser version of the player. Uh, if the Canucks were adding him 10 years ago, uh, I still think it would be contentious or maybe not quite 10 years ago because I, I think that this the the Sedin hit happened in in 2012 but uh closer to his prime uh there would still be people on the other side but because it's it's so split now because he's not that player anymore uh and, and there are some more factors there I think it's it's fascinating to see the reaction uh by and large for me if 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 I think that the player can help my team win uh, I mean we just talked to a guy who played in the NHL and, mm-hmm. and said that that's by and large how the players approach it as well uh i'd be intrigued but there are there are some concerns there are some red flags when it comes to the cap management and and taking on that kind of hit uh don't anticipate it would be the whole freight but uh this is certainly a, a real interesting story to track over the next few days i'm stunned that uh it's as split as it is right now uh in our inbox uh summer you know, very anti, which is what I expected, an overwhelming wave of it. Uh, some are on board, though. This one, Duncan Keith, Keith, absolutely not, and not because what he did to Vancouver players and his, and he's just another washed-up Louis Erickson. Uh, this one, uh, if the Sedins sign off on Duncan Keith, I am in, unsigned into the Dunbar Lumber 6 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. Taylor says, I would take him if it meant Erickson was gone and he could teach Hughes what it's all about. It's only two years. Uh, Look, I'm just generally surprised. I I thought there would be uh, uh, more 
passionate uproar over it. <laughs> well, the the latest texts are much more in line with uh, the negative part of that, uh, and I, I'm not going to sit there and try to. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince Canucks fans to to get over uh, mm-hmm. the, the the rivalry, to get over uh, the Duncan Keith history in this marketplace. Uh, it, it it runs deep, uh, and it's it's. You said it earlier in the show, Bick. It's not just. Uh, the way that Duncan Keith is perceived here in Vancouver, though, I, I think it's probably at the top of the list. Uh, he was a guy that uh, even in the middle of his career in other markets, there would be some trepidation. Not quite at the Brad Marchand level. I think Brad Marchand's top in that list and, and pretty convincingly. Uh, but with the added history here, uh, Keith is Keith is well, <laughs> right near the top. Look, again, we, you and I personally have had this conversation of like the unlikable players in Vancouver. Like NHL players, I think Steve Francis is probably on the podium. But NHL players, it's like Brad Marchand, Mark Messier, and probably Duncan Keith. Yeah, totally. And uh, you know, the Messier one is is complicated by the fact of uh, his tenure here as a player. And so you got the, the those two in particular, Marchand, Keith, uh, the peak of of the Canucks franchise, running into those types of players. Uh, Marshawn in particular, really, you know, hamming it up and, and enjoying that villain role. Uh, I think Keith acknowledges that uh, he's he's a bit of a villain when it when it comes to playing in Vancouver, which is another layer here because, as mentioned, uh, he's got some ties to BC. He spends uh, his time in the off season in BC. It's not in Vancouver, but uh, as we know, this Canucks fan base runs pretty deep. And uh, if this move is to be closer to family toward the end of his career, then uh, Vancouver is, is very close to his family. You know, that's, that's where uh, I think his family would be coming to games in Vancouver while even while playing in Chicago. And, and he's experienced that uh, from the other side. Um, again, uh, just to reiterate, this is Elliot Friedman's report that uh, the Blackhawks are looking to facilitate a move for Keith to either the Pacific Northwest or Western Canada. Um, the Canucks are, you know, the let's say, well, let's not include Winnipeg. That means it's a 25% chance that the that the Canucks are there, one in four. Uh, I think on paper, you'd probably look at Seattle just because they have a, a blank slate as, as being uh, the possibility there, probably the leading contender, but... Look, the Canucks, the Canucks could surprise, and uh, the Alberta teams, as as I said earlier, those are those are two teams that uh, are looking to break through and probably could convince themselves that at the right price, Duncan Keith could help them. Uh, unsigned text. I don't get why people would still be salty about those days. How many Canucks still remain from those times? The locker room would be open to it if it if he helps the team. Put your hatred aside. Keep the reaction coming. The People Show going to be talking about it as well. Coming up at three o'clock. Sat Dan and Randeep on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty.